Human Vortex Training and Menachem Brody present the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast, where we talk strength training, physiology, psychology, tech, and much more to help you get fitter, faster, and stronger in and out of your sport, giving you expert insights, talking with other leading experts. And now, your host, world-leading strength coach for cyclists and triathletes, Menachem Brody. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 79 of the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete podcast. This week, we get to sit down and interview a bit of a mentor of mine and, and someone who's had a profound impact on me as an athlete and as a coach. Dan John. Now, if you haven't heard about Dan John, he has published or authored, rather, I should say, over 10 different books. Uh, he's actually been training online since the early 90s. So we're talking about three decades at this point. And uh, he actually published a book recently called Four Decades or 40 Years with a Whistle, which I strongly recommend you read. Now, what you'll notice about Dan, if you haven't heard of, uh, of him quite yet, number one, it is an engaging conversation and it's very lighthearted but serious at the same time. We have a blast, we cut up, uh, we're very straightforward without a lot of technical jargon, but we get some really great points uh, and take homes for you. Now, Dan shares his wisdom and insights and, and failures with coaches and athletes from around the world. And, and what's really unique about Dan is I, I think that uh, when you talk to him or read his stuff, it's, it's just very basic. And as a coach or as a professional in anything, one of the true signs of mastery is your ability to simplify things. And you're going to hear how Dan uh, has a lot of great take-homes and he shares with us uh, there's a lot of hard-fought wisdom in that. So uh, I read a little bit from his uh, book, Attempts, which I believe is his most recent book and I strongly recommend. They're essentially uh, small little vignettes and essays. Uh, really fantastic book with uh, laugh-out-loud moments, as you'll hear, uh, and lots more uh, just direct take-homes about fitness training and life in general. Now, Dan is a teacher through and through, and we were fortunate enough that he got into fitness at a young age and had some great coaches. And we'll hear about his coaches and how his best track and field coach was actually not a great track and field athlete. And that's something that uh, I've had people review. There's actually one out in the public uh, forum on my book where someone says, this guy's a joke. You've done three races in the Allegheny Cycling Association. I'd feel like a neo pro also. Well, we don't know what we don't know, right? And that's one of the, the beauties of being able to sit down and talk with somebody and listen. You hear so much about their experiences, how they got to where they are, and get to know them much better. Now, we have a lot of different information with Dan. Uh, we talk about everything needs to be finished before you complete it, and as well as why are you good enough, or when, I should say, are you good enough to be frustrated. And that's an important part that I really teach with my teenage uh, basketball players, as well as some of my adult cyclists and triathletes. We tend to get frustrated, but when is it where you actually are good enough to be frustrated? We'll hear about that. Now, before we get into today's episode with Dan, just uh, two quick announcements. Two weeks from today, uh, or three weeks, or two weeks and a day, I should say, February 14th, uh, so the release of this podcast is going to be the 29th of January, so I should say 16 days from now, we are going to open the Strength Training for Cyclist certification again for spring enrollment. This course is chock full of great information and take-homes that are easy to use and apply with your athletes immediately. So whether you are a cycling coach, a triathlete, or a cyclist who's looking to really dial in and understand what is it we need to get out of strength training, 
make sure you're signing up to the insider list to get early access to that as well as bonus content in the days and weeks leading up to that release here and also to get the best most thorough and deepest dive into strength training for cycling out there available in the world to date it is a fantastic course the feedback has been phenomenal we have coaches from over eight or i think no sorry 10 different countries at this point have taken that course and for the second time we're opening up the mentorship where you can actually get a chance to learn even more and these will be topics, uh, two of them are determined. The third one is open for the people who are in the mentorship at that time, as well as more access with me and communication so that you can ask your questions and learn far, far, far more. So if this sounds interesting to you and you'd really like to take your knowledge about strength training for cycling or triathlon up a level, uh, this is the course for you. And yes, it is worth USAT and USA Cycling CEUs. Second announcement here, we're getting into February, and that means that we are in the depths of winter. And now is the time that you might want to go back and listen to a couple of the earlier episodes. We had uh, Dr. Lisa Lewis talking about winter is coming and boosting your mental immunity, as well as a number of other guests talking about getting through the tough times of winter and building your fitness. Now is not the time to dig super deep in the mental side of things and, and physical side of things. Now is the time where we want to stay nice and consistent. And if you follow me over on Facebook, you'll remember back at the beginning of January, I actually jumped on for a live. I think it was something like January 10th or 11th. It was a Monday. It was a Monday, so I think the 10th it would be. I jumped on for a live and I shared what my exercise session was going to be that day despite the baby teething and not really sleeping for over a week and a half, although my wife has taken the brunt of that. She's a true superhero. I mean, moms out there don't get nearly enough credit as they should, uh, in my opinion. Um, but if you follow me over on Facebook, you get lots of little tidbits like this, as well as making sure to subscribe to the HV Training YouTube channel, which is growing rapidly. We're now over 4,000 likes, uh, 4,000 subscribers, and every Wednesday, a new video will be released. So if you're looking to learn, we've got the blog, we have the weekly podcast episodes here on Fridays, and the YouTube videos over on Wednesdays. But make sure you're subscribing and hitting that bell icon to get notified. Now, without much further ado, let's get into today's uh, talk really was just hanging out with Dan John. And, and that's one of the things I think that I've noticed uh, as the host is that the best coaches uh, tend to be really easy to talk to. There's no air of elitism or, or um, anything negative where I'm going to teach you stuff. It's just more of, all right, let's have a conversation and talk about this and see what comes up. Uh, it's very easy flowing. If you didn't know any better, you'd think that he and I were just hanging out at a bar, drinking beer and, and you know, talking, shooting the breeze and talking fitness. And that's the type of uh, thing that I try to do in my own podcast uh, interviews when I go on podcasts. And I hope you find it to be very informational, uh, fun to listen to. And I hope you get a couple laughs as I did as well. Without much further ado, episode 79 with Dan John. Coach, thank you so much for joining us here today. Oh, well, thank you. This is going to be nice. This is our second time, right, together? Uh, actually, it's technically our second time, but the first time we actually had a conversation uh, about the idea I had for my second book, which will now hopefully be my third book. Um, but we, we did have a, a, a really great conversation here back in February. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, yeah, thank you. Thank you. I, I'm always shocked when people want to hear me again. Uh, they, they must have better taste, but, you know, we'll, we'll move on. <laughs> well, I, I think a lot of it is just the ability to have an open and honest conversation and not have to talk a certain way. You know, it's just this is where we're at right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, things are good for me. I, I, I know it sounds horrible, but 
Uh, I went online as an instructor in 1998. So I have 22 years of experience, you know, helping people. I have a skill set that understands the COVID crisis, uh, you know, doing online training, uh, doing email training. And uh, so oddly, this, this has been a good time for me, strangely. Well, same here. And, and it's really interesting because it seems like a lot of fitness professionals, um, and I'm totally guilty of this, we just get caught up in the next second, next session, next session. And we have to have people, you know, we're just so focused on what's in here and now in front of us to take a step back and think, well, I have skills and tools that I can help more people if I just figure out how to use this thing called the interwebs, maybe include some cats or dogs or puppy memes that we can really have a bigger impact. How did you get into it in 1998? I mean, that was, we're talking Excel, we're talking emails, and that's about it, right? Uh, when I first taught, I used to have to send my students uh, a link to Amazon Acrobat so they could download PDFs. They didn't know how to uh, do that. Well, in 1997 or eight, so it happened in earlier in 96, I got hired by Columbia College to teach religious studies here at the campus. And then about a year or so later, somebody, a guy named Arlen on the campus came up with this idea and said, you know, our tradition at Columbia is, you know, postal education. Well, instead of doing it on, and by the way, postal education was around for a long time, uh, from about 1919 until, well, about what the story I'm telling you. You know, you would write a letter to your professor and they'd write you a letter back and you would write them back and they'd write you back and, you know, uh, things are a little faster now. And Arlen, when I went to uh, Missouri, uh, we we're in a room, there was five of us. And he said, you know, there's a chance once a year, you'll have maybe 20 students on this thing called online education. And I was like, wow, and you would get paid $1,000 for teaching, it. for teaching at home, jeepers. Well, I never had one session. It, I start off uh, five sessions a year, move to six. I had First off, I had one section, then two, then three, then four. Now it goes up to K or L, you know, A, B, C, D, E. And uh, there are some great lessons uh, from online education. Uh, like I said, you know, my first students didn't know how to open a PDF. Uh, many of my first students, uh, they couldn't order books online because they didn't know how to do it. Or they go to the library and get books. It, it's just funny, I mean, because it's only 22 years ago, but the world is so different now. Uh, the biggest lesson, uh, Menachem, is that online is there's 24 noons every day on the planet Earth. Uh, 24 noons. So if you say I'm going to do a workout at noon, that only applies to one twenty-fourth of the world. The other 23 have to figure out what you mean by noon. And that's the first lesson of online education is that we call it asynchronic. Um, you, you have to look at time radically different than you used to. Uh, that's why you'll notice most of my work, I rarely do things like, well, in fact, even our discussion is trying to figure out what time to talk. Now, we've done this before, so we both know the hoops, but it's a hard little conversation. And the second thing about online is that everything has to be completed before you start doing it. So in online education of any kind, including workouts, when that thing becomes available, everything has to be done. What do I mean by that? Well, so if you go to, okay, folks, I got this place called danjohnuniversity.com. There's a workout generator. 
And the first question is, what equipment do you have? The second one is, how many days a week do you want to work out? The third is, for how long? And then you press a button and it gives you your five-day-a-week workout based on the equipment you have and how long you want to work out. Well, when you go in there, if you don't know what an exercise is, you can click it and we then demonstrate the exercise to you. If that exercise you don't like, you can regress it or progress it, make it harder, make it easier. And then when that exercise comes up, you press the link and we give you an exercise video. You know how long it takes to put that kind of thing together? Uh, you're not going to knock it out uh, <laughs> one or two days after the coronavirus hits. Everything has to be in place. And those are the two great lessons I've learned. And, and, the, and it's hard to get out across to people. I still have some of my young friends saying, they'll go to Instagram and they'll say, I'm going to do a workout in half an hour. Join me. Well, I'm not going to be still, if you're still there, what time is it there? Uh, right now it's 10.09 p.m. I'm sure your neighbors would love it if you started, if you went outside right now and started doing my uh, snatch and clean and jerk workout and dropping weights. <laughs> uh, it's just, yeah. So you're going to train along with me. That's not realistic. And remember, two time zones to your right, it's midnight, man. <laughs> it's, so, uh, so, that's, so that's my story. And I've been doing the online for a long, long time. And uh, every day I, I learn just a little bit more. Well, it's interesting, you know, beginning with the end in mind, it's kind of, you know, when does a house get built? A lot of people think that it gets built when you start thinking about it. Well, you can't do it that way. You have to have the end in, in mind, and then you need to do some studies. What kind of soil is it? How's the water uh, irrigation? Where's the sewer line? And in fitness in particular, it seems to be unfortunately still rampant, maybe even worse nowadays with InstaFit pros and fitness yeah. uh, professionals on Facebook where it looks hard. So people say, oh, it's hard. So it's got to be good. Where I think Vern Gambetta said, uh, you're, it's either tiring the athlete out or actually getting them a training effect. And people, the general population seem to miss that. They just think that moving, while it's important, we have to get, you know, 100, 150 minutes of movement. The attention to what is your desired outcome and what path would you like to take to get there? Because there's thousands to get there is lost. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I like what you said about the path because, you know, there are many paths to fitness and some of them work better for person A, but that might not work for person B or C. And I think it's our job, it, those of us on the, this, my side, you know, the, the coaches and the trainers to be able to, uh, you know, kind of change direction and, and walk the path with others. Yeah. It's a good question. It's a good point. And speaking of, of the online training, what have, what have you found over the last couple of months through Corona? Do you get excited seeing a lot of these people turning to online and maybe they wouldn't have worked out before, but now whether fortunately or unfortunately, they do have the time to work out. They're looking for quality programs or, or just a program. Are you excited by that? Or do you see, it's something good can come out in the end, but there's a lot of, uh, I guess, minds along the way. Yeah. I, I actually feel for people who are, are deciding to pick up now and build their own home gym. Uh, I don't know how it is where you are in Tel Aviv, but here in the States, there is no equipment available. Everyone's, 
every weight in America has been bought. But that's nice, though, because in six months, I'm going to be able to pick up a whole bunch of more equipment. Uh, oh, always looking for the edge. Not the, not the kindest soul, always looking for the edge. But um, So, you know, it does. It's funny you say that. So you go out and you buy this kettlebell and this Olympic barbell. Uh, do you know how to use it? And how are you going to find out? I mean, I say I want you to do three sets of eight in the front squat. You don't know how to squat, and you don't know what the word front means. So it is, it's difficult right now, I think, because lack of equipment, lack of coaching, uh, hands-on coaching, uh, lead to uh, people getting stuck, which is why I've been trying to really push um, workouts. I have a workout called 30, 30 for 30 for 30. 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off for 30 minutes. And uh, I, I give a few examples on, uh, if you go to my YouTube, I have one, where we basically do it with no equipment in many cases. So push-up position plank, uh, glute bridge, uh, just sit in the bottom, just in the goblet squat, marching in place, that exercise called a Superman. Uh, and you just do that for, you know, the, the 30 minutes, you know, the, by the way, that would be a very hard workout, what I just said there. Um, but there's no equipment. I need to learn one or two, maybe three tiny things to follow along. And uh, by the way, I like it when it's on a YouTube that you can just, you know, you can watch and see what we're doing, even though I always screw it up. Um, but there's, then there's this poor guy. Who, I mean, I've had several people say, you know, I bought the 310 or the 140 kilo set. Well, what do I do with it? You know, you're an online expert. What do I do with this? And it's like, what, what do you do with 140K? Well, man, you know, you don't know anything. Huh? So, you know, buying a, buying a couple of dumbbells would have been a smarter idea for you because that's a little simpler. So it is, it's, it's, it is a, you know, uh, I don't know, I guess matrix is overused, but we are in a, a matrix of helping people right now because there's so many things in the ether that we don't know. And that's why I'm trying so hard to ask people, what exercises do you know? What equipment you have? Start there. What can you do? And then I'll work from there. Uh, I've got this thing that was pretty popular called easy strength for fat loss. And uh, what I try to do is restrict it to some really, really basic movements. And I'll get emails from people saying, well, this is too simple. I know how to do this. And it's like, well, maybe this, you know, this may be not for you. You know, you can do some, you can do some other standard workouts. You don't need to do this, you know, simple one. So it's been, it is a, like I said, it's a matrix. I feel like a, I'm, I'm, I'm juggling things a little bit, you know? And it's interesting you know, what you pointed out about the weights here. They're, they're relatively unavailable. Uh, my wife actually made a request to me a couple of weeks ago to pick up a 28 kilo kettlebell. And the one shop that I usually go to happened to have, he had a 28 and a 40. And that was it, you know, and I said, I'll take the 28. It's like, Oh, you should take the 40 also. And here, you know, you, you remember this well better than I do. I remember telling triathletes and cyclists a decade ago, just a decade ago, go to, I think it was garage door was the only one selling uh, kettlebells online, go to them, order it. It'll take about a week and a half to get you. And then you'll have your strength training tool for the next six to 12 months. Yeah. Whereas now, you know, the guy who bought the 140K set, you know what you do? That's an investment. You put it on eBay and you sell it at a profit. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there's some wisdom there because yeah, it is funny. We had a conversation today about, you know, if all you had in my case was a 28K kettlebell and a jump rope, 
uh, or a, I mean, I was just thinking, make it simple. Let's stop the jump rope. Let's, that, we'll call that redundant. You know, I can get a pretty good workout. Tell you what, fall ahead was a 16K bell. I'll get some pretty good workouts in there because it's, it's, what, it's what you know and the intensity of the application. Uh, many people get stuck. They, they, they buy the equipment, then they learn the exercises. And I think, dude, learn the exercise with the, you know, a glass of water. Learn the exercise with a book. Uh, don't learn the exercise by loading the weights up, you know. Uh, but what do I know? <laughs> well, that seems to be one of the challenges nowadays uh, that I've noticed. You know, I, I'm, I'm probably just missing something here. But a lot of people that are looking for fitness online, that response that you're getting of this is just too simple of, well, it is. So if it's so simple, let's see you be consistent with it for two to three weeks and do the things outside of the training you need to do. It's simple as going to bed an hour earlier eating, you know, six to eight servings of protein, six to eight or eight to 10 servings of vegetables a day. And let's see how it is in about two weeks. It seems that people expect, have been trained to expect difficult and technique and functional and whatever other catchphrase people want to put out there that's hot and trendy, as opposed to here's a 12 kilo kettlebell, hold it in a bottom of a squat for 30 seconds, then squat 10 times, rest for a minute, do that for about 15 minutes, and then we'll go and do the same thing with some kettlebell swings. They miss that, that beauty of the simple is what's going to get you there at the beginning. Well, and the simple is going to not just get you there in the beginning. It's going to get you there when you're advanced. Uh, I had someone, I posted a workout. Uh, Brian Waltney has been asking me to send him more workout videos. And so I did. And, you know, it was, and I got a comment. I couldn't do that. I would be bored to death. And I thought, I've been lifting weights since 1965. Uh, I can guarantee, I hate to say this to the person who left the comment, I'm far stronger than you are at 63 than you are. I, I'm, I'm just, I mean, I don't know who it is because I use some, you know, fake name, but I know I'm stronger. I probably have bigger work capacity and I'm 63. So yeah, my workouts are boring, but my engine is still bigger than your engine. You know, I'm not trying to be confrontational, but I'm like, the master is the person who understands that the fundamentals, the basics, the foundations, that's the game. That's the whole thing. You know, uh, honestly, you know, if you eat protein, eat veggies and drink water at every meal, yeah, that's going to be pretty good. <laughs> and if you do that for a decade, you're going you're gonna to be just fine in, the, in, in body composition. If you do the fundamentals, push, pull, hinge, squat, load, and carry, and go for a walk after that, uh, you're not only gonna, you're gonna be you're gonna be, you're gonna have your health you're gonna have your longevity you're gonna be okay now was any of that perfect well hell no and we have a phrase here it, perfection gets in the way of improvement mm -hmm. you know and I, I feel very strong about it and i do apologize for the no noise they are redoing the street in front of me and it's been so ever since the covid lockdown um they have been replacing the water, the storm drains, the sidewalks, and now the street. And it's been a what, five or six month process. So it's been nothing but fun. And you just had a big, uh, big grader go by. So I'm sorry about that. It's more odd, oddly shaped stuff to pick up and move. <laughs> That's right. I'll tell you one thing, man. I tried to pick up one of those water pipes just as a joke. It, uh, it, well, I don't know what they weigh, but they're a lot more than you think. I tell you, those are <laughs> massive. Well, they're, they're what, uh, two and three quarters uh, steel? Is that right? 
Is that what they're using nowadays? Uh, you know what? I don't even know what the material was. It's yeah, I don't know. But I tell you, it heavy. It was heavy, heavy as f. <laughs> Well, one of the things that, that's really interesting and that you just touched on is, is even for the advanced, it it's really is what Bruce Lee has been quoted as saying is that for a beginner, a kick is a kick, a punch is a punch. For an intermediate, a kick is more than a kick and a punch is more than a punch. And for the advanced, a kick is a kick, a punch is a punch. And we, we seem to lose that. I'm totally guilty of that as a coach. Like, well, we need to give you this and that. Like people can do extremely well with simple and then when they need a little bit of spice, you add a little bit of paprika. You don't drop in, you know, the cumin or something that's really out there for them. But that seems to be the norm nowadays in fitness is the fancy toy or um, the newest machine or uh, we'll add this twist and blood flow restriction. Like just master the simple basics and do them really well consistently over a long period of time. You know, it's funny you say that uh, blood restriction thing. And I'm at a workshop, and the first question up was, what do you think about blood restriction? And I'm like, and I look at the guy, and I'm, I hate to be such a judgmental bastard, but, you know, it's like, really? We, you need to talk about that? Because, you know, it looked like the guy had never lifted a weight in his life. Yeah, so this guy uh, comes up to me after my workshop, and he says, uh, perform better, and he goes, hey, uh, what do you think about this blood restriction stuff? And I go, I, I'll never use it. And he goes, well, it's, don't you read the studies? Well, No. He goes, well, you know, and he tells me all this magical stuff. And it's like, dude, you know, I do know kilos are pounds. What's easier for you? Uh, kilos, but I think the listeners would do better with pounds. Okay. So I've snatched 314. I've cleaned 402. How much stronger do I need to be to get around my life? I'm still the guy. I'm 63, but I'm still a guy you call to move tires. How do you think this blood flow restriction stuff that you think that's going to pop you over me? You could tell he hadn't done the fundamental work. You know, I'd, I'd love to see him do a deadlift because he didn't look like he'd ever mastered tension in his life. The fundamental, the basic, the, the baby steps of weight training. And yet he wanted to get into this thing that is speculative at best. And even if it does work, is it better than the power lifts and the Olympic lifts and the loaded carries? Is it better if you're my age, uh, goblet squats, um, swings, uh, pull-ups, and overhead presses? Now, you can say, yeah, it's good, but be careful about saying it's better. Well, that's an interesting thing. In, in, in cycling and triathlon, you know, a lot of the coaches out there will be familiar with this, that power, training by power is better than anything else. And it's completely uh, disregarded how the athlete is actually feeling. You know, there's uh, people have talked about coupling of heart rate and power and I never really got into that because you can have outliers, a stress, you know, the body takes stress, doesn't matter if it's life stress or workout stress, and it's going to respond that way. But to have an athlete come back and, and you say to them, okay, I want you to go ride nine out of 10. You should be almost cross-eyed and completely out of breath when you come back. The coaching of that and teaching athletes how to feel their body has gone away. And it seems to me that we're not using technology as a crutch, but rather as an excuse to keep or to teach the athlete how to actually train based on what their body is going to allow them to do that day. Right. Right. And uh, I'm, I was talking with somebody today who, who gave me a really good insight. Their training now is, so here's how it goes. Uh, 
I don't know if I can explain it as well, so just give me a break here. So I only heard it today. But there's minus two and there's minus four and there's minus five. So it's so we're doing kettlebell or we're doing double kettlebell presses. We both got the 28s, okay? I want to finish on a minus two when I have two reps left in the tank. Now that can be 13 or that could be one. Uh, minus four uh, is so if I can do 10 reps in the, with the 28s, that would be I get to six and stop. And I thought to myself, holy cow, man, this is some genius stuff. I was very impressed. I mean, I was just like, holy cow, man. What a great way to look at. Um, there's a great UFC fighter. In fact, I, I work with UFC fighters. And that, that would, every, your audience would know this, what that is, right? Yeah, yeah. And these UFC fighters, it took them a while, but they're starting to figure out that, you know, you want to keep your weight workouts in that. Uh, if 10 is you're blowing your eyeballs out, nine is a you know, max deadlift. You want to keep your workouts around seven. And they're all going, well, we need nine. No, not if you want to get stronger. You need seven, which is funny because that's literally what the book Easy Strength is all about and my new book, Affiliates. So trying to learn that you get stronger the same way you learn how to play the cello. You know, I don't scream in the young cello's ear, go faster, hit that note, you know, <laughs> go for the burn. No, if they make a mistake, we stop, start again, stop, start again, and we gently, with repetition, get better and better and better. Uh, pretty simple stuff, man. So what's interesting about that is, especially with cyclists and triathletes, over the last, I don't know, 15 years or so of working with them, there is an inbred mentality of, you know, HTFU, harden the F up, you need to go harder. How do we as coaches get through to the athlete? Are, are there common themes that you found or, or threads of success to help an athlete understand it's not that nine or 10 that you need to do, it's that five, six, and seven, and just showing up, doing the work and being consistent with it? Well, it's weird because the elites get what we're talking about. Um, you know, when you work with uh, people who are in the military and they're special, a lot of the guys are just grinders. Uh, they, <laughs> a lot of them just are trying to prove something all the time to themselves. Those are the hardest ones for me to communicate with. But I have found that the ones that are, you know, I, hate to, I don't want to use the word smarter, but a little bit craftier, they're like, ah, I see. I see, I can do less and get more, I'm with you. And so part of what I have to do is I have to, I have to be basic, I mean, honest to God, Sir Lawrence Olivier should send me money because I'm the greatest actor in the world now because part of the job of a modern strength coach is being able to sell this and it's difficult sometimes. Uh, so with some of the younger guys, I have to basically offend them. Um, you know, I tell them things like, I don't you know, uh, they'll tell me their max deadlift, and I'll say, you're almost as strong as my daughter, but she's only 5'4". Uh, you know, uh, I know that's rude, and it's inappropriate, and all. I know that. But part of my job is to get them to realize that, yeah, you work hard, but we're not seeing any results. I like, I like people who are craftier and trying to figure out an edge, a way around things. Uh, that, those are my favorite people. Yeah. yeah. I, you know the parable um, about the lumberjack? Know. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, you know the oh, parable? Yeah. 
sharpen and soft. Yeah, exactly. The, he's big and strong. First year crushes it. Second year a little bit less. Third year, and then you know the fourth year, the small guy just comes over and asks him, you know, what you know, what's he doing? Why are you why are you sitting here? And he said, Oh, I'm sharpening my my axe. Light bulb, bing. Yeah, it is. And and sharpening the axe really is what my job is. My job is to get you more efficient in the weight room. You know, I tell people my easy strength workout shouldn't last more than 15 minutes. And there's a whole thread in one of my forums. There's no way it ever got in 15 minutes. And I keep saying, you know, what's your perceived exertion? Uh, 95 out of 10. Okay, maybe, maybe the reason you're not getting the workout done swiftly is because you're dying after every attempt. And, and it's weird to say all this stuff out loud because as I sit here in my office with my little computer screen and my glass of water when i say something like that it's completely simple and obvious to me but when i put myself into a a, a fitness place a, a gym or a, one of those warehouse workout places and i see somebody else stronger than me or lifting weights you know instantly i forget everything i just said and i want to beat them so i have the disease too so just so you know hi i'm dan and i am an addict to overtraining hi dan you know, yeah, so we are, so, but my job is to teach people to not have that disease. Well, it sounds like some of the, the biggest lessons come from our own mistakes, right? So we've, I've totally messed up, you know, you, you, you're like, oh yeah, you know what? I'm not really supposed to do the weight today, but the other guy I really don't really like is here and I need to show him like, I belong here or he doesn't belong here. Yeah. Um, you know, how do we how do we pass these lessons on to the younger athletes that, you know, we're, we've, we've got to that point in our coaching career where there's enough of a generational gap. They're like, yeah, okay. You're, you're one of the, the fast older guys, but you don't know what I know. And they have that a little bit of bravado. You know, you mentioned, you know, telling them that your daughter on deadlift almost as much as your daughter. Is it a process? Is it kind of like, you know, giving them that light punch to the stomach and seeing how they respond and, and rolling with it? How do we get through to them? Well, it's tough. One thing that helps me a little bit and might not in this is I've had not just success, but extraordinary success with some of my athletes. So I can, you know, I mean, I had a kid push back on me workout after workout year after year. And finally I just said, you know, here you are throwing now, this is you're throwing distances. I threw when I was 14 and you're 19 and here's a distance. I had an 18 year old kid throw and you're literally two thirds the way there. You know, I, as nice as I can say it, you know, you're, 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 you're not as good as you think you are. And that actually, I know it's cruel and all that, but having some former success really seems to help me, man. And what about those for those who don't, such as myself, I don't have a, a racing pedigree. You know, the, the best riders I've, I've trained have made it to the professional level on the women's side, but not the men's. How, how can we get through to them as, as a coach who hasn't had that? And I know some people will say, well, you shouldn't coach them if you haven't been at that level because you can't tell oh, them no, no, no. how it feels. I strongly disagree with that. Uh, the best Olympic lifting coach I had, Dick Notmeyer, never, ever, not one time ever Olympic lifted his whole life, ever. But he had an eye for it and he had a vision of what you're supposed to do. And we, I made the best progress of my life under him. So you don't have to. The thing is, you, just, you, you might need to do the old classic, just try it my way for a couple of weeks and let's just see how you feel. And uh, 
boy, I know, I know it's easy to say that sentence, right, brother? It's in that easy sentence. Did you hear that sentence? So mm -hmm. easy for me to say it. Mm -hmm. Just so try make, it. Yeah, try it my way. Um, and that's kind of what I, that's kind of one of the things I do a lot. You know, when people ask me advice about fitness, I think I'm, uh, pardon me, losing fat. I apologize. You know, and I'm a big engine guy. You know, I, you know, I've had some big lifts in my life and all that. And yet, you know, I mean, I've, I've weighed, you know, 273 getting ready for weightlifting means. So, I mean, I get it. And I'm no, I'm no skinny mini. Okay. But people trust me because I walk the walk with them a little bit. And that's about all I can say to help you trust the process, walk the walk and, you know, do your, you know, do your best, man. You know, sometimes, sometimes what were Buddha's last words? Remember, do your best. <laughs> sometimes just do your best, you know? And it's interesting because uh, some of the best coaches out there who are really uh, forward thinkers and leading the charge, you know, you can't see it right now, but I'm sitting here in my Cressy sports performance t-shirt to name one Lauren Landau's another you know, they weren't necessarily the most skilled, but that was one of the reasons, is one of the reasons why they became so darn good is that they had to study and understand it at a better level and then simplify it and be able to translate that into results. Exactly. Uh, the late Brian Oldfield, he was the world record holder in the uh, shot put. You know, he one time, he was kind of, I'll, I'll be honest, he was, he was a bit of a jerk. Uh, you know, I think we can all be honest about that because, you know, he was. Um, but he one time told me, he goes, you know, I, you, that me, Dan John, is the only coach he, he actually trusted other people with. Because like you just said, basically, you know, even though I wasn't the best, I, because of my struggle to get as high as I could, I had to do the little things better. And he goes, I, he goes, I didn't have to, you know. you know. And he was, he was just a, a fast twitch demon you know, he should have been 6'8", but because he had bow legs, he was only 6'4". Uh, you know, so he was just, and he was just better at everything. Well, his path was a lot easier than my path. But I learned a lot more because I didn't have that early advantage. There are guys who literally will pick up the shot, put and throw it 60 feet, you know, on the second time they ever saw it. And uh, that wasn't me, i tell you that. What about for the coaches out there who are just starting out, let's say, uh, they're trying to find a, a rhythm or a tempo to coach, and they're trying to use their own experiences, but they're, they're not confident. You know, one of the things that I find very refreshing about talking to you in general, reading the books, is you're very open and honest about your failures. And yeah. <laughs> a lot of coaches are very apprehensive about that. I can't do that. I can't tell them I failed. Only the successes. And it's, would you say it kind of undermines the coach's ability to actually coach? Or is there another way you would describe that? Well, you know, it's interesting because you're talking in a sense about some academic honesty, aren't you? Yeah. 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 And, you know, if, if I was a research facility and we only published the results when we were right, um, the downside is often there's more to learn from the failures. You know, um, my favorite example is Viagra. Uh, Viagra was made to be a, a blood pressure medicine. It didn't work really well to lower blood pressure, but it had a really weird other side effect that made it the fastest selling drug in the history of the world. 
And the thing is, if they'd have just focused, ah, we're throwing this thing out, it doesn't lower blood pressure. <laughs> you know, uh, I, and you got to say, it might have changed the world a little bit, so to speak. Um, so uh, if you're following my point, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, I don't know if you've read my new book yet, but I tell the story of basically giving away the world record in the weight pentathlon because of cheese sandwiches. And I don't like telling the story, but I failed so publicly that day, even though I had a great performance, it wasn't, I mean, I expected the world record. So, you know, taking second, scoring 4,000 points and taking second wasn't, wasn't what I wanted. But that failure so drove me into changing the way I uh, practice, practice, that uh, I never had a problem with noise again in my career. So that failure really made me a much, much better uh, coach and athlete. So you gotta embrace those failures. And and I tell you, you know, the, the, the ladies I work with, you know, that I advise, in the area of physique, the best ones are the most candid on their social media. You know, they're the ones that include, they include themselves wearing sweats, their hair bad. Uh, They'll have that before, uh, they'll have those kind of before and after joke pictures where, you know, they wear a baggy, terribly colored top and badly colored bottom. And they kind of just stand really bad. Then, you know, eight minutes later, they've got the makeup on, they got the bikini, they got the twisted body, but they send it out there as a joke, as a, as a, as a kind of a, you know, making fun of themselves. And it's, and I tell you, people like that kind of thing. And listen, those people who have the highest social media, the, especially the young uh, fitness models who basically, like the one girl basically is naked in every photo. And I'm not gonna, I look as a professional not to enjoy them. Uh, that was a joke. Um, you know, you, you, you just get to the point where it's like, oh my God, this person, the only people following them are 14 year old boys. You know, no one's listening to them for fitness advice. And yet when you have somebody uh, I've got a woman here who lost 100 pounds. She's probably the most popular fitness trainer I know right now because she's candid about her body weight loss, her body fat loss, the, the struggles of getting started and keeping going. You, you fall in love with that story and you want to be on the journey with her. You know, nothing worse than, I always make the joke in my books, you know. So one time, I can't believe it, I got up to 117 pounds and I felt so fat <laughs> and so I lost four pounds and now look at me in my bikini aren't I beautiful and you and you read that kind of thing and you're like who what middle-aged mom wants to read that well turns out a lot do but not a lot of people are gonna write the check and keep that person around well they're, so, they're, building, they're building castles in the air right and that seems to be where a lot of fitness is going is it's all this perfect. Like I know uh, Ben Bruno is just awesome. Like uh, he just put a post up this morning. I think I bought my girlfriend floor seats for the Lakers playoff game, and it's them sitting in the floor in the uh, in the living room. Uh, exactly. You know. Yes. That, that room seems to be lost. Did you see the Joe Rogan post where his daughter took a picture of him and it went through a filter and it became this really beautiful like teenage girl? <laughs> 
No, I didn't, but that's worth, uh, if you get a chance, send it to me. Yeah. Have you worked the time now. Want to learn more? Check out humanvortextraining.com for more on this topic from Coach Brody and today's guest. How do we deal with that? As coaches who have the experience and, and the knowledge, how, how do you get through to the people? Is it just being candid and honest? Uh, and, you know, I like to focus on the good, not talking bad about other people. Uh, you mentioned in general, like the common practice would be X. But is it just that candidness that, that connects with people where you find birds of a feather that identify with, hey, you know what? I've never been down to 5% either for body fat, but 12%, I look great and I feel great and I can actually live my life. You know, one of the things that helped me, um, I was at a workshop years ago, and this guy talked about this model of church, church, and he had these concentric circles, and he said that most churches, and he had a circle, there, there was just like 10% who does everything in the community. They're the people who are the ushers, they sing in the choir, they bake cookie, and when someone has a funeral, they bake food. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. And then there's the next circle. Uh, those are the people who show up on Sunday or Saturday or Friday, whatever day of the week it is. And there's this other circle, a bigger one. He called them the C&E's, Christmas and Easter's. And then he had another circle called Everybody Else. And I, I really enjoyed it for a number of reasons. But one of the things it did for me, Menachem, is when, and this, and this is going to help me with this conversation, because this is where it drove me. You know, I have a business, and there's probably 10% of the people who follow me they're all in. They buy every book. They listen to every, you know, you know what I'm saying? And then you, the circles grow out. But then a couple of years ago, I realized that that's probably the way a typical community is too when it comes to fitness. There's going to be this vast number of people, vast, I tell you, 90% of the community, 80, who will never, ever join a gym, buy a kettlebell, do, go for a walk. I hate to say it, but I think that's true. Uh, let's, let's be Okay, and then there's another inner circle. These are people that will go occasionally for a walk or garden, and they will always say that they exercise every single day, right? Because that's the way things go. Then you're going to have that another circle of people who kind of train, and then that inner circle of people who are gung-ho and crazy. The fitness industry loves the 10% inner circle crazies. We don't spend any time with those outer rings. And the truth is, those outer rings are who most people should serve. Um, one of the things, if you're going to work with me, uh, if you're going to work with me as an intern, or if I'm going to take you on as a client, uh, I insist that you work with an underserved community. Um, I work with people who are deaf and people with MS. Um, my friend uh, Taylor works with people with cystic fibrosis. Um, uh, Parker, for example, works with guys we have a lot of problems with post-traumatic uh, syndrome here in the States, okay? Because we keep starting wars and then don't take care of our vets, um, which is just tragic. Um, I expect you to serve an underserved, my good friend Val over there in England, she works with the LGBT youth, uh, underserved community. If you're following my point here, there are lots of people who aren't even, don't even think about the door to a gym and those are the people you should be talking, thinking about. Uh, a lot of people just want to look good and feel good. They don't want to be on the dais in a, a thong, you know, flexing their, their abs and ass. And we got to serve those people, Menachem. You know, uh, you live in Israel. Uh, you guys have a you guys have a fairly good uh, physical uh, training tradition, right? Truth. 
Yeah, I'd say so. In fact, from my experiences with the young ladies in uh, Israel, uh, you guys are in great shape. Uh, that's just my <laughs> Just uh, here, I'm a scientist, you know, I'm out there. Um, and yet, I guarantee if you walk down the street or go to a cafe, you're going to see, see a lot of underserved people. And maybe that's where we need to focus on in this case. Listen, the internet hotties are going to get a lot of people for whatever reasons. But there's no one online, there's very few people, few people online right now in Tel Aviv searching for, you know, searching for six-pack abs and thong butt. And yet, but they would like to feel better and look a little better. And that seems to be, you know, the running theme with, with cyclists and triathletes. I, I've been very blessed and I'm incredibly grateful for during COVID, you know, every obstacle poses numerous opportunities. It's our job to be open to what the universal intelligence or God, whatever you want to call it, offers us. And they all come. And in this time, it's just been very apparent that a lot of cyclists and triathletes want strength training not to get faster, but just to feel better, to move better, to not have those aches and pains so that they can go out and, and do what they would like to do. And what you just said really, really struck home because a number of coaches are referring people to me. Uh, you know, I, I opened my own certification because I felt that this was a very underserved community, uh, different than what you're talking about. Um, but a lot of coaches think that it needs to be strength training for performance. Just like you're mentioning with most people, the vast majority of the clients I work with, they want to look better naked. They want to feel better. They want to move better and not look like the hunchback of Notre Dame and have that be their only Halloween costume option for the year. And it just seems so lost on coaches where it's performance, 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 or, oh, I only work with master's athletes who want a podium. Why or how have you seen it kind of progress to that point where we've become so obsessed with podiums and performance as opposed to as you, as you mentioned the, the new book, uh, which I love, let me explain to you longevity. Don't die. <laughs> you know, how, how you lost our point here? That was brilliant, by the way. That was, I laughed out loud. My, my wife thought it was hilarious as well. Well, you know, I hope, the thing about when I write and stuff like that, and I thank you for mentioning that. Um, it, it's funny because when I get, if you talk to my daughter, she, if, if you get a chance, if you haven't read a cheat, she talks about being coached by me in the, about the author. And it took her, she's 28. It took her until she was 28 to figure out why I always have these pithy little statements. Uh, you, you're not good enough to be frustrated uh, because it took her a while. Uh, it, you know, you, your life, you know, you are the sum of your choices. You are the sum of your habits drives her crazy until one day she realized that, to summarize longevity, and I say don't die, there's some hard-earned wisdom on that some bitch. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, in my family, you know, we're military family, and we we tend to die of cancer. And um, you know, last year, you know, uh, I was at a workshop in England, and I said, people in my family die. And this person came up after him. You shouldn't say that. Well, at the moment I was saying that my brother Phil had died in a bicycle accident. And, and I said the next day when I came back for part two of the workshop, I said, this is terrible. And I could barely, I could barely talk, but it's funny. It was once I got into weight training, talking about lifting, I was fine. But yeah, sometimes it's that simple. Uh, don't die. Um, drink water. Oh, oh you're, you're tired. Sleep. You know, you're, you're dehydrated. Uh, drink water. You want to get stronger, uh, lift weights. Um, 
So uh, you want to lose body fat, you know, try eating some vegetables at every meal. And you say those, I can, by the way, folks, gentle listeners, I can't sell any of that stuff, but it's all true. Well, that, that's the thing that's really interesting is, is uh, in our conversation when we were talking uh, last time about the, the possible or the second book, um, you and I had, had both gone on. I think I mentioned Thomas Kurz's book, The Science of uh, Sport Science or something of that training. And you mentioned a wrestling book. I don't have the name off the top of my head. Uh, uh, the Physical, Condition, uh, Physical Conditioning Encyclopedia for Wrestlers by John Jesse. There. Yes, published in, I think, 1948 or oh, earlier. Uh, no, this one would have been the one from, I'm sorry, that John Jesse's book is from about the late, uh, mid-70s. Uh, you're talking about uh, DeLorme's book, Progressive Resistance Training, uh, research done in the 40s up until about 1951, book 1951, right? Yeah. Right, okay. yeah. And essentially, a uh, vast majority of the sports science that's out there now is essentially confirming what was written back then. We have more understanding of the details, you know, as Joel Jameson talks about in his bioforce conditioning, the, all the hormones, we really don't know what's going on there. <laughs> there's such a cascade we, we can't comprehend, but there's nothing new really under the sun in fitness. And yet it seems like every day something else is coming out and telling you, hey, you know what, Dan, you've been training wrong all of these years. And actually everything you've accomplished is a lie and we should actually take those medals away. How do we find that, that balance in helping our athletes and, and clients just understand the research is great, but you need to find what works for you, which is going to be very different than 23 to 30 year old males who are in grad school. Right. Well, and if you don't mind, um, there's a time and place for everything. And that's one of the issues we kind of uh, 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 miss. I mean, for example, the age I'm at, uh, post 55, you should train like a teenager. You should become a bodybuilder. And here's another funny thing. You should train more like what uh, uh, Greg O'Gallagher and Rusty Moore teach. Uh, once you get to my age, uh, your leg workouts should be mostly walking. Your leg workouts should be sprinting hills. Um, you want to, you want to, you want to, my age, you want to train like you're going to the beach. You want to be lean. Uh, you want to have balance. Having broad shoulders and big triceps is nice because it looks good. And you want to have that V, that V taper, but you don't want those huge, huge thighs because, you know, your joints just can't handle it. So what did I just say? Man, that, you know, that weird kind of bodybuilding when guys wear the long board shorts and never show their thighs. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> that's, that's how a post 55 year old can train. Yeah. Uh, long walks get ripped, uh, you know, do your, do your military presses, do your pull-ups, you know, work, the, work those cannons, the guns, the armacondas. When you're younger, you should be doing the ballistic stuff. You know, you should be in the, doing the Olympic lifts. You do kettlebell uh, swings. In that transitional period from about 35 to 55, that 20-year period, you should, that, and of course, that's when your career is going to be most difficult because that's children, that's career jumping, that's, you got to mow the damn lawn. You got to, you know, you got to fix the air conditioning. You know, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. uh, that's a tough, you know, when you're my age, you hire people to do all that. When you're 40, you do all that. Mm -hmm. And so when you're there, that's when you should probably, you know, like my friend, Marty Gallagher, they his training program for his busy people on Sunday, they all meet and you squat bench press and deadlift 
They only have one bar. They expect perfect technique. Oh, and the rest of the week, he expects you to go for a walk. Work out one day a week and walk every day the rest. Now, a lot of your listeners be like, well, that's not hardcore enough for me. And I'm always like, well, when I was 47, I had two full-time jobs, two kids at home, my wife on the road constantly. She's an agent of treasury. And I was still training. Uh, at, it was the best year of my life as a discus store. You know why? So I stopped training like I was 20 and started training like I was 47. And so, so there's a bit of wisdom I'm trying to give here is that, yeah, you can do all that smashing your face against the wall stuff in your, you know, teens and 20s. But then you've got to become a big kid and go, I, here, what's the minimum I can have? And then when you hit about 55, it's like, well, let's start training, you know, let's look good on the beach finally. And if you do it right, you'll look good on the beach the whole time. Well, let's, let's kind of bring that into focus a little bit because essentially 35 to 55 is the summer of life, right? So if we're talking about uh, accrual of wealth or financial freedom or moving towards retirement and actually having a savings, uh, that's your, your summer. That's your time to go out and you're, you're essentially harvesting and, and bringing in, you know, if it's a game of baseball, let's say 30s would be the third and fourth inning and the 50s would be seventh and eighth inning. And there's a lot that you can accomplish in that time, but there needs to be a life balance there. And that's another thing we, we seem to miss. We talk about this with another guest, uh, Bijou Thomas, uh, about how a lot of master's athletes don't have that balance for family. It's their sport, bringing home the paycheck, and everything else is sacrificed. How do we work towards better life balance in being able to get enough workouts that we're able to have a healthy outlet for stress and enough family that we're actually building those bonds and passing along pieces of ourselves, our personality, our beliefs to our children and our loved ones. Well, I mean, that's my whole, that's what I hate to say, you just kind of summarize what I've been trying to do my whole life. Uh, if you have attempts in front of you, the way I've always done it, and there's no surprise here, we may have even talked about this before, but uh, in the second grade, uh, Sister Maria Sumter went up to the board and she made a compass and she put work, rest, play, and pray on there. And pray can mean alone time or appreciating beauty and nature. And she told us that, you know, some of you are going to take work too serious in life. I'm in the second grade, my friend, so I'm eight, okay? Seven or eight. And I remember it like it was yesterday, so that'll tell you how good at teaching this is. And if some of us work too hard, you become workaholics. Others of you are going to play too hard. And I certainly uh, dealt with that with some of my friends in my life. Some of you will rest too hard, sloth or sloth, and you'll bump into people like that. And she didn't mention um, uh, too much praying or too much alone time, but you know we have a guy here named in the United States named Ted Kaczynski, the the Unabomber. Mm -hmm. And you know, and we got you know every every country has its own bag of nuts, you know. Um, but what she said, if you keep everything in balance, you'll always be okay. I thought that was pretty good. But then I learned later on that if I consciously think, if I consciously think, okay, now listen, when, when, when I was given this opportunity to take another, on another full-time job, and, and it was going from, so I was this full-time teacher and then taking on a job as a professor. And I said to Tiff, I'm going to have to rest harder. And we laughed, and that's when we got our first hot tub. And then I decided that, 
you know, and then when I discovered the Highland Games, you know, I was a very good discus thrower. And, you know, I went to my first Highland Games and I was like, I was ready. To, I thought it was a track meet because they had the hammer throw. And I showed up with my throwing shoes and my hammer. And, and I realized that there was not, and these guys were drinking between rounds. And it was a festive atmosphere. And we threw nine events. And it's like, what I noticed all of a sudden is that my discus started to improve again because what I had done, uh, Menachem, is I re-added play into my work. Mm. it was fun to throw shit all day long you know and that stuff carried over to my discus throw as well as anything else in my whole career because i had finally balanced stuff out a little bit what was what was that process like was it was it a long drawn out three or four years a lot of a lot of mess ups a lot of mistakes that you had to learn from or was it more of you kind of got you remember the company? I can't believe you remember that from second grade. I don't. I don't think I can even remember my second grade teacher's name. Sure. You know, like that—that's really good teaching there. Uh, what What was that like to go through that process to to find that joy and that play again? Well, it, it, when you if you do it, it really becomes illuminating. I mean, seriously, illuminating. You're like, and then suddenly you realize that. I, I should have listened. I should have been. Uh, so I, I can't, since we can't look at each other, but it becomes a bit of an upward spiral when you start thinking this way. Okay, so I want to improve my discus throw. So I can just lift more days a week. By the way, that's not going to help. I can throw harder. By the way, that's not going to help. Or I could add more fun to it. Okay, here's one of the ways we did it. We put a garbage can, a red garbage can out in the middle of the sector. And we try to throw our discuses into the, into the garbage can. Well, okay, that's a simple thing, right? It's a simple, right? How, how complicated is what I just said? Right? Nothing. But it was so fun to have target practice at discus throwing. It was fun. It became a game. And it was playful. And later, I, with my athletes in discus throwing, on Fridays, we added this uh, this tournament where we play these different stupid games uh um do you know what a swiss ball is that big round ball you can sit on and do mm -hmm. ab work oh we've become think, very acquainted with uh with the baby it is a lifesaver or a sleep saver i should say <laughs> okay. so so we would play uh soccer football with it and my athletes would run around like idiots for an hour playing this game because it with no goalies and you would uh you would just kick it it was hilarious to watch we played ultimate Frisbee. Now we're discus throwers, but you know what we were doing? That's how I got them into shape. That was our conditioning. Ultimate Frisbee and the silly soccer game was how I got them into shape. And so what, what I'm trying to do is, you don't see my fingers, but it's an upward expanding spiral. If you decide I need to do more work, stop back and say, how can I make more work more fun? How can I... How can I, um, how can I, how can I ensure that our, my athletes have more rest time? How can I make sure they have more alone time? And when you start doing that, uh, by the way, about that hot tub we bought, this is when my daughters were going to middle school and um, um, all of a sudden my wife started getting up about half an hour early every day and uh, just so she could go out and uh, get a cup of coffee and sit in the hot tub by herself with her back to the door. 
And I realized the reason she wasn't going to kill my two daughters was that half an hour that she had alone every day. It wasn't the hot tub. Well, maybe it was a little bit of the hot tub. Maybe it was a little bit of the coffee. But it was that alone time. She wasn't getting any alone time. And so by building this in, it seems to make a difference. Well, you raised something interesting, and this has actually been a question I've, I've always wanted to ask you. So it's, it's really exciting uh, to have that opportunity. Um, I found that also when I, it wasn't the alone time necessarily, but it was, it was the gratitude at first to be gracious and grateful for that, that yes. half hour, 20 minutes. What role has gratitude played in, in your life and your progress as a coach and as an athlete? Have you practiced that purposefully and, and, and very specifically throughout your days? Or is it something that naturally comes to you? No, no, no. I think it has to be built in. So I got an idea from Pat Flynn that I'm very, I like a lot. So every day I do, it's called my pirate map. And every single day um, I start off the day. In fact, it's funny right there. It's in front of me. It's my Ravenclaw note, notebook and my Ratatouille pen. Those are the, 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 you know, okay. So I buy specifically funny things to make my to-do list. So if I see my Ratatouille pen anywhere else but with my to-do list, I'm pissed off because someone took it. So I, before I go to bed, I write my to-do list. I take my supplements or whatever. When I get up in the morning, the first thing I try to be is grateful. Grateful. Okay. What does that mean? Well, I can be grateful for my wife, my kids, my house, but a moment of gratitude every day to start my day. And if I can't be grateful, go back to bed. Uh, the third thing is I do a one-minute meditation at least every day. Yesterday I did a two-hour one because I might have fallen asleep. Uh, I still count the number. Uh, number four is I eat. I strive to eat eight different vegetables every day. And number five is it's my workout, it's my weekly workout plan. But on my pirate map, my daily do this list, number two is gratitude, a moment of gratitude. And by the way, if you have a moment of gratitude, you end up having a lot longer than a moment of gratitude. Mm -hmm. And so, I, yeah, I do build in. I build in everything in my life. I'm a big believer that the person I'm talking to right now, you are the sum of your habits. Okay. And I don't, you, if you're overweight, underweight, too pretty, too ugly, too whatever, uh, you are the sum of your habits. You, you, in a sense, you earned, you earned your body. You earned your, you know, yeah, you, you earned your career. You are, you are all those bricks you put down every single day of your life up to today. You are now the building you made. It's like Jim Rohn says in his uh, program, you know, uh, what's, what's the difference between success and failure? A few bad mistakes made regularly that will keep you from reaching success. And success is reasonable, uh, measurable progress made in reasonable time. And, you know, it, it really is that simple. And, and what is measurable progress, though? How, how can we put that out? Is it the weight on the bar, which seems to be the most consistent thing that we hear out there is, oh, your weights have to go up it's a struggle to get people to understand it's not the weights, it's how you do it and how you're feeling and how you're recovering. There's such a, a broader perspective of what success is when it comes to strength training or training in general. Have you found uh, your own definition to what that success is? Well, I use Earl Nightingale's. In fact, I think he's in the book too. 
uh, the new book. Uh, it's the, uh, the uh, shoot, let me, let me quote it correctly, if you don't mind, okay? Uh, it's the realization of a worthy goal. Uh, the, on, uh, the ongoing realization of a worthy goal. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't mean you get the goal, by the way. And he goes on to say that the, uh, the school teacher might be the most successful person in society, which I like because I was a teacher. My daughters are teachers. The bulk of my friends are teachers. And for me, it's just if you have a worthy goal and you begin to take the steps to achieve it, you, when you start to take the steps is when I think you're successful. I didn't say you had to get the goal. I said you had to start the process. That's all. What about uh, another book I'm reading is The, the Wealthy Gardener by uh, John Sephoric, a fantastic read. Uh, the lessons on wealth and uh, success passed from father to son. And one of them is about discontentment. And discontentment can be a good thing. It's the frustration with uh, the condition of, or affairs as current. How do we better teach our, our clients and our athletes to recognize that that discontentment can be incredibly powerful for the good or for the bad and to move to that definition of success, which is the movement towards realization of the goal, not actually getting there. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know if you know my three, I, just stick with me. And by the way, I'm, I, I just popped on this guy's blog. That's pretty nice. I may have to buy this book. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, it's fan I'm reading it for the umpteenth time. I've been through, I bought the audio book, the ebook, the, uh, yeah. <laughs> fantastic book. Okay. Um, I have a three parts of the program for coaching and just about life. Number one is invest wisely in asymmetrical risks. I always ask what's the worst could happen. And then I spend a little bit of money or spend some time. Like if I'm working with a discus, I spend a lot of time making sure no one's going to get hit in the head with the discus, you know, because that's the number two is embrace the obvious throwers, throw jumpers, jump, sprinters, sprint, mm -hmm. triathletes, triathlete. Okay. Swimmer, swim. Okay. And then number three is respect the process. The results will take care of themselves. You know, you might nail the entire process and still lose. That doesn't mean you're a loser. It simply means that uh, somebody who is, luckier brighter bigger whatever just you know got there ahead of you that's all you're not a bad person they're just better than you you know uh, i mean you know genetically you know i was competing against people who are two meters tall i mean you know uh, and i'm what 186 or something like that and uh, that extra <laughs> those extra centimeters add up <laughs> 188 i guess 188 uh and that's a huge that's a huge amount that's a huge amount um, I, I competed against guys who weighed, uh, you know, 280, you know, 6% body fat. I'm sure that happened naturally. Uh, yeah. And you know, you just, you just got to learn to, you know, Hey, they're better, but it doesn't mean I can't keep finding those little edges to defeat them. So it sounds like uh, prudence would be a, a good word to describe that and how you go through. Be cautious and, and compare yourself to others. Have some discretion, but, you know, regard your self-interests and be able to progress. Would that be a fair kind of summary? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's my life in a nutshell, man. I mean, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm a big believer that you said prudence. So, you know, look before you leap. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, 
And when you, when you do look, look what the best and brightest are doing and don't leap, just do what they did. And then try to be unique, a little bit different and add your own flair and let's see where you can go with that. Well, uh, Dan, that's, I think that's where we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it for today. Cause that, uh, that strikes very strong with me. Um, my, drive to write my book was very much inspired by, by yours. Uh, I received the ultimate compliment and someone I didn't know reviewed the book and mentioned your name in the review. And that's where is that? Uh, up on Amazon. Uh, it's called the vortex method. I'll send you, I'll send you a copy. I'll get your information when we're done here. I'll send you a oh, copy. Thank you very much. Yeah, that'd be very nice. But that, um, you know, the lessons, I think it was, uh, can you go was the one that really vortex method. Vortex. Uh, that's what I couldn't remember. Uh, vortex, darn English. So, folks, I'm doing this very odd thing. I'm using Google to look up something, uh, <laughs> which is oh, there. You are right there, my brother. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll I'll ping you my information. This is really quite nice of you. Um, thank you. Well, a lot of it is is just you know as you've gone through, and I strongly encourage anybody listening to to pick up your books and and you know just this conversation. I think is incredibly dem demonstrative of the lifelong process of learning, being open, uh, especially yeah. nowadays. I'm totally guilty of it. Well, I know what I need to know. So, you know, the first five years of my career were stalled. And the openness and honesty with which you, you write and share is just so refreshing nowadays where people seem to have to say, I have all the answers. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's... In, it's not in a coach's toolbox to say, I don't know, or I'm not the right person to coach. I could coach you, but you can pay so-and-so 50 bucks an hour less and get better results because that's their specialization. It's like, well, we have to I take could, everything. Yeah. You know, if I can say one thing that really helps me and it really bugs people in Q and A's is I say, I don't know. I don't know. Dan, what do you think about, had somebody ping me a podcast question. What do you think about velocity-based training? I go, I don't, I don't know what that is. And they got angry because it's like, well, you should. It's like, why? And then they, they, they explained it. And it was like, oh, yeah, we call those the Olympic lifts. I mean, why did you make it, you know? Uh, can you tell the folks where they can find you, where they can find your writings, and, and uh, even the program you mentioned here earlier? Oh, sure. Okay, the, the easiest place to, well, there's two places. DanJohn.net is my, my library. That's where I put up all my old newsletters. That's where I put up, oh, articles of all kinds, all my discus throwing stuff. It's all free. It always will be. Uh, if you decide to print it, you better have 3,000 pieces of paper. <laughs> it's a uh, dissertation. Well, it's just, and it's just, and it's, and don't ask me to find something because I can't find it either. Use Google, for God's sake. <laughs> uh, and then my new site, a uh, year old now, uh, danjohnuniversity.com and it's got the workout generator it's got a bunch of free downloadable books not just for me but from people like Tim Anderson and Pat Flynn and, uh, and then a bunch of articles a marvelous forum and of course this thing called the workout generator which I'm, I think is the best thing uh, Brian reached inside my skull and made uh, it he know it's literally 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 as everyone over says nowadays the inner workings of how my brain works. Uh, and it, it, you just press these buttons, it gives you all the information. And if, if right now, if you, if you sign up, type in Corona uh, for uh, the uh, discount code, 
Corona, and it'll only be 29 bucks for three months. Usually it's 29 bucks a month. Uh, we both agreed it's okay for us to lose. We're not losing money. I have to pay people for this, but we're certainly not making a, a profit. But it's helping people right now is more important for me than you know trying to buy my third yacht. Um, I you know my 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 private air force is doing just fine. I don't need another you know uh, another jet. Uh, I only have the three right now. Five yachts. And, I'm joking. I'm joking. Okay. I have to. Okay. <laughs> and then they'll be able to get a hold anytime. Okay. Awesome. That's it for this episode of the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast with world leading strength coach for cyclists and triathletes, Menachem Brody. Don't miss an episode. Hit that subscribe button and give us a review. For more exclusive content, visit humanvortextraining.com or get the latest expert videos from Coach Brody on the HVT YouTube channel at HV Training. Until next time, remember to train smarter, not harder, because it is all about you.